Hello and welcome along. Today's guest is Paralympic sprinter Richard Whitehead. It's Mark Shardlow here as we continue to focus on the Paralympics. So to Richard, 200 metres champion in London, 200 metres champion in Rio, add to that a silver in the 100 metres in Brazil. Well, at the end of the podcast, I'll link to Richard's own podcast, which is called Track and Ball. I work with him on that alongside footballer Ellen White, who played brilliantly for Team GB at the Olympics. And the episode I'm going to link is their conversation with another Paralympic legend, David Weir. It's a real in-depth interview there. I've known Richard for some time. He's the dad of two kids. He's about to set up a charity foundation, which he talks about too. He's always pretty open and pretty honest when he speaks. And he talks in the next 10 minutes about changes in... Uh, classification that has really affected him at these games. So more of that in a moment. Richard is in Japan and he's been telling me how it is over there. Yeah, generally everybody's in great spirits. Um, it's a long journey to get here, obviously 12 hours on a flight, like you know, and then coming through all the COVID procedures at the airport. But it's good to get to the hotel. Lots of smiling faces, lots of people doing some hard work on in the gym and on the track. and. Um, yeah, it, it feels it feels different now. It feels feels like win the game. So uh, I'm happy to be here, definitely. And does it feel the same, or does it feel different to Rio five years ago? Hundred percent different. Obviously, Brazil, <laughs> Japan, <laughs> foods a lot different. A uh, uh, lot safer here, and I've, I don't know. I, I'm five years older, more experienced in the games environment. I'm going to enjoy this. I've, I've said to myself that it's, um, it's obviously competition. I'm, I want to retain my Paralympic gold medal, but it's also it's about an opportunity to kind of really take stock what the Paralympics is all about. And um, there's going to be lots of great stories of overcoming adversity through COVID and 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 through what the world's like at the moment. And and for me, it's it's a learning. Uh, process that's going that I'm going to enrich my life and take some of their stories back home. Gosh, a learning process after all the years that you've been involved. I mean, things have changed Couple. a lot for you. I know I'm going to say more than ten. Um, <laughs> uh, a lot's changed for you actually this time because there's been a reclassification. Just explain how that works. Yeah, um, and I've lost an event. So yeah. I was a T42, which incorporated single leg amputees and disability impairments that affect a number of limbs uh, equivalent to my disability which I'm, I'm obviously a double leg amputee and now they've gone into specific disability groups so for instance now I'm a T61 so double leg uh, below knee amp- uh, above knee amputee sorry and I'm the most impaired in the most impaired class for the, for the amputees there's also uh, two three four and therefore uh, single leg amputees uh, and double baloney amputees. And those classes are, or were, um, changed to make uh, a level playing field in, obviously, in the races. It hasn't, for me, it hasn't really worked. It's, uh, it hasn't pushed on the classes at all. The numbers are a lot lower. Uh, it isn't equal across the range of the classes. So, for instance, some some classes are still combined, so you'll still get single leg amputees versus double leg amputees, like Johnny Peacock's class over the 100, but I lose my event and I only have a 200-metre race. So to race for five years, just for one race on the 3rd of September, as you can imagine, it's very frustrating. I 
won silver uh, in Rio and very proud of that. Um, and then obviously very disappointed when it was taken away. Um, I, I felt that I, I wanted to continue that. I wanted to try and push on for gold. I, I, I wanted that really badly in, in Rio. The opportunity is not in Tokyo. Frustrated, but you kind of have to, you have to just move on. And yeah, 200 metres, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased I've got an event anyway. Yeah, well, there are other athletes who haven't even made the games who've been reclassified. So I guess yeah, you're going exactly. to take the positive for that. Yeah, uh, so exactly. you've got the, the, the silver in the 100 metres, but you, you've got gold in the 200 metres over the yeah. last two games. How has the moving class affected your rankings? Are you going into the games as, as favourite again? I mean, we spoke to so, Hannah Cockroft the other day yeah. about this, like the expectation for Hannah, because everyone has seen her win so often, is that she goes yeah. out there, she wins. Is that the same for you? You go out there, you win. We've, that's all we've seen for 10 years. Uh, yeah, five years older. It's quite harder. Just getting out of bed's harder. Never mind winning races in the two hundred meters. Um, I think the expectation for me is that I always get, leave my best on the track, uh, and I've always been proud of about about doing that. Whether I in the gym or on the on the on the track, just delivering a hundred percent. And if and if my hundred percent is worth a silver or bronze medal instead of the gold, then be proud of that that performance and be proud of that medal. Um, we shouldn't all be governed by the colour of the medals. It should be about the memories that we create, not just for ourselves, but um, as athletes. And uh, I know it sounds a little bit cliche because we all go out there to win, but it, 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 that's the truth. And Natando, uh, um, the South African boy that obviously I've raced over the last four or five years, he's now a young man, uh, he's developed, and I'm sure we'll have a great race uh, in Tokyo. And I'm looking forward to it. Um, and hopefully I can, I can push him hard and uh, whoever wins will deserve that. At the Olympics, we saw uh, lots of like family reunions. But the thing that struck me was that a lot of the kids were really quite young, two and three-year-olds. Now, for these games, your children are that bit older where I think they'll remember dad competing on the telly. Does that have an impact on you? Do you think about that? Um, I obviously think about not not having them here and the impact that has on me and my mindset around competing. So I'm obviously away from the family for, for some time, for three weeks. Um, and that's tough because uh, they're at that age now, six and eight, Zara and Andrew, where they're impacted by having their parents around and, and having those positive role models. And, and so it's a, it's a big sacrifice that I make and then hopefully they, they see, the reason why I do it and that's that's for them and 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 for the legacy that it leaves in the East Midlands and Nottingham and, and Great Britain uh, around equality and diversity and for the disability community so it's not and hopefully my messages are around that it's not just about that self-gratification of winning those medals but it's 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 what I bring to the, the performance and um, they're young enough to to remember and they know that obviously dad runs and runs uh, in front of a lot of people all over the world and obviously their friends and teachers know what I do and I'm sure they're they're proud of, of what I what I do but hopefully they're proud because they know it's it's for them as well as well as well as obviously me. And just touching on that theme do you think these games are about more than medals more so than ever before? Yeah the the, the games are in important games and I wouldn't say they're the most important games I've I've heard that spoke about. I think it's it's a it's a games of hope 
and of liberation of not just people that have overcome COVID and a lot of people have lost loved ones through COVID, but also the condition the planet's in at the moment, uh, the climate, also the conflict in the world. And a lot of athletes would have had to come through a lot of that to just get to the start line. So everybody should be really proud of of putting on that tracksuit or running vest and getting to the start line and being able to compete. And whatever the result, uh, really embrace it and then take those memories back and, and those stories back to your 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 environment and in, enriching your community. The game start on Tuesday and you've got a foundation starting on Tuesday as well. Tell us about that. That's right. So uh, the Richard White Foundation is something that I've been planning for quite a long time. And after 2012, uh, I looked, was well, I had the opportunity to, to launch a charity or, or foundation, but I didn't really feel I had the, the toolkit or um, the experience to do that. But now uh, with, the, with some great trustees that have got disabilities and experience in disability sport, uh, as well as a programme manager, I'm able to facilitate uh, programmes that provide hope, aspiration for people with disabilities, not just in sport, but also employment, uh, volunteering, and all those areas of sport that need to have an impact. And to show that disability is at the heart of, of my thinking and of sport. Brilliant. Well, go, go well with that. I'm looking forward to one of the highlights of the Games, which is always that home straight, running down the home straight, <laughs> bringing out the guns at the end. Richard, <laughs> yeah, have a great Games. Cheers, Mark. That's Richard Whitehead, and hopefully this will now link to his chat with another Paralympic legend, David Weir, on Richard and Ellen White's podcast, Track and Ball. Thanks for listening to me anyway. On the next Destination Tokyo, we'll be looking at wheelchair basketball and a chance meeting that's led to a Paralympic place. See you later.